Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. I love it. I love it. We are in the second installment of a series called Perhaps the Lord. Some might say Perhaps the Lord. And I just love that terminology. I love that phrase. Uh, We revisited that again last week. It's the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. And God just stirred inside of the hearts of these young men. And they stepped out in faith. Remember, we, we talked about these bracelets. And I hope you had a chance to pick up your bracelet if you didn't get it. But perhaps the Lord is a reminder that God didn't just save us to sit us but he saved us to move us forward and stepping out as a church and taking risk and and, uh, taking initiative and stretching our faith. And so today I wanna talk to you about the book of Esther. I wanna talk to you about the story of her life. And the title of the message is simply this, for such a time as this, for such a time as this. How many of you are familiar with the story of Esther? Ah, I love it. It's, it's one of my all-time favorites. And I, I love how God uses this girl, this one-girl revolution. God uses a female. He brings her from an orphan to a queen. Come on, somebody. And I thought the timing of this was important. And this may mean something to some of you. Some of you may not really catch on. I don't know if you've heard some chatter this week. Maybe you've read some things on social media. But there have been some comments made, very public comments made, by theologians and scholars uh, against women. And I just want you to know the, the spirit of this house. Ladies, can I take a moment to talk to you before we dive into the book of Esther? In fact, ladies, I want you to do this. Every lady, every female in this house, I want you to stand up just, just for a moment. All the ladies. All right. Come on, fellas. Come on, fellas. Wow, look at that. I'm telling you, ladies, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want to speak something over you, all the mothers, all the daughters, all the sisters, all the young girls here today. This is a house that believes in you. We believe in the gifts, the talents, and the abilities that God has placed inside of you. You are not limited because you're a female. You are not less than because you're a girl. God didn't put all that stuff in you and then turn around and be like, oh, wait a second, you're a girl, you can't walk in all of that. How many of you know God knew what he was doing when he put you together in your mama's belly? And so I just speak a blessing over you. You are free to walk in the fullness of the call of God on your life. Can I have a better amen? Put your hands together one more time for all these amazing ladies. God bless you, you can be seated. The book of Esther. Oh, I love it. I love it. Man, there have been some powerful ladies that have affected my life. My mama, my sisters, my wife, my daughters, my whole world has been shaped by women. And I love the story of Esther. And we're going to see how God takes an ordinary girl and does some extraordinary things. Esther 4.14, here is the theme verse. Esther 4.14, if you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. And who knows? Somebody say, who knows? 
Who knows, perhaps, there's that word perhaps again, perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Come on, can I have a better amen? Now let me give you the backdrop. This, this story is so good, and I don't have time to tell all of it, so I'm just going to kind of cherry pick. I'm going to give you bits and pieces, but I do encourage you to read this week the book of Esther. It's only 10 chapters, but it is chock full of so much good stuff. I mean, it's almost like it was a, a Hollywood movie. It's amazing to see how God takes this little girl and does some amazing things in her and through her. But I want to give you some of the players, okay? This is not a, a fairy tale. This is real life. This, this really happened. The king of Persia at the time is a man named Xerxes. And this is about 460 years before Christ. He was the most powerful man on the planet. The Persian Empire stretched over 127 different provinces from, from Ethiopia all the way to India. His wife was the queen and her name was Vashti. But she was banished from the kingdom because she refused to appear before the king when he called on her. It was a very male-dominant culture. And so whatever the king said goes. Well, she defied the king and so she was deposed as queen. So in order to find her replacement, they did a Miss Universe pageant, all right? I mean, so they're calling for the most beautiful ladies of the land, and 400 girls enlisted in this Miss Universe pageant, and they went through 12 months of beauty treatments. Come on, somebody. Sounds like a little bath and body works, a little oil of Olay. I mean, tw ladies, 12 months of beauty treatments. So they're trying to figure out who's going to be the queen that would replace Vashti. Well, this is where Esther is involved. She's 20 years old at the time. She's an orphan girl. Her family had been captured from Israel under the Babylonian captivity, and most scholars believe that, that uh, uh, Esther's family was killed, and so, so she was orphaned. But Esther's name means star. I love it. Boy, that'll preach right there. Esther's name means star, and God would use this girl to shine for his glory. And so Esther has an uncle named Mordecai, and some scholars say she was a or Mordecai was a second cousin. Some think that he was an uncle, but he adopts Esther in this whole process as part of his own family. And in fact, God uses Mordecai as a type of the Holy Spirit because Esther's nationality was hidden to the king. Esther was a Jew. The king didn't realize her nationality. And enter the villain of the story. How many know that every good story has to have a bad guy? Okay, you know what the bad guy is in this story? You know what his name is? Haman. You know how it's spelt? Exactly like mine. H-A-M-A-N. He is evil. He is sinister. He's the prime minister of all the provinces. And other than the king, he's the most powerful. And guess what? Haman hates the Jews. He hates Mordecai because Mordecai refuses to bow to him. Haman is all about himself. And so he, he, he crafts this plan to exterminate, to annihilate all the Jews. And the date that he was going to do it was March the 7th and the 8th. Guess when my birthday is? 
I know. You know what's crazy? I went to Israel two years ago, all right? I went to the Holy Land two years ago, and one of our tour guides, you know what his name was? Mordecai. He said, hey, my name's Mordecai. What's yours? I was like, uh, Mike. What's your last name? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. And so here we have this tension. We have this, this decree in the land of Persia that is to annihilate the Jews. We have this, this young girl, Esther, who was appointed to be queen, and she was positioned in the palace. Now, I want you to consider this. Esther had favor in the palace. She lived a life of ease, but her people were in peril. They were under the threat of death. What was she going to do? She had some choices to make. She was in a difficult situation. Some of you find yourself in a difficult situation right now. Maybe not these extreme circumstances, but you feel pressure from every side. You know what's an interesting fact about the story of Esther? You read the book, and not one time will you find the name of God written in it. Did you know that? It's one of the only books of the Bible that the name God is not even mentioned. His name is not in the book. Some scholars say that that was done on purpose because the, the Israelites were away from the promised land. God was distant. He was separate. And so in order to convey that to the Jewish people, his name was left out. I want to tell you this. His name is not in the book, but his fingerprints are all over it. And some of you may be in a season right now where you can't sense the presence of God. You look for him and you can't find him. Maybe he's distant. Maybe he feels far away. I want to tell you this. God does some of his best work in hidden places. You can't see his name, but the fingerprints of God are all over this book. Esther teaches us three important lessons, and here they are. I want you to write these down. Number one, you have a purpose. Somebody say purpose. You have a divine design and an eternal purpose placed there by God himself. Now, I want you to know this. The three most important days of your life, first of all, the day you were born. How many thinks that's a pretty important day? How many of you you celebrate that day every year? How many of you you stop celebrating because you stop counting? I'm glad you're here. You know what? The day you were born is a pretty important day. The second most important day is the day you're born again. You know, it's one thing to be born, but it's another thing to be born again. But I want you to catch this. And you see, you know, and this is the conversation Jesus and Nicodemus had in John chapter 3. He's thinking, wait, what do you mean born again? How do I get back into my mama's belly and do it all over? He said, no, no, no. Your first birth was natural, but your second birth is spiritual. And it's important that if you are born, that you become born again. But watch this. The third most important day is not just the day you were born or the day you were born again, but the day you realize what you were born to do. Some of you are not only born, but you're born again, and you still haven't discovered what you were born to do. If the devil can't keep you from being born, and if he can't stop you from serving God, then he will confuse you and create doubt in you so you'll you'll never discover what your divine purpose is. You were made by God for God, and it's only in God that you discover why on earth you are here. It's the creator of your soul that knows best 
How many of you parents or even grandparents, how many of you have like artwork on your furniture, on your refrigerator, and it's from your kids or your grandkids? And it's scribble scratching, and you get it, and you're proud of it, and you put it up on your refrigerator, and in your mind you're thinking, man, what in the world is that? But you're excited because, man, you know the little inventor, the little creator of it is so proud. Well, if you want to know what it is, you got to talk to who designed it, right? And the same is true for us. If you want to know why you are here, you got to talk to the creator and the designer of you. You have a purpose. And my, my, my heart in this for our church and for you individually is that you will begin to discover why on earth God created you and what you are here for. Notice this. We don't determine our purpose, but we discover our purpose. We don't decide what our purpose is. But just like we sang this morning about surrender, we discover it through the plans and the, the, the peace of God. You know, when I was growing up in, in, in high school, I had teachers and, and mentors and coaches, and they all begin to encourage me. They say, Mike, we just, we're convinced you're going to be a pastor one day. And you know what? That made me mad. You know the one thing I said I would never do? I would never preach. I, I, I was so resistant. I, don't tell me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to spend the rest of my life playing basketball. I got so much talent and ability. My talents are going to take me around the world. You know how far my basketball talent took me? Pineville. I played ball Pineville, Louisiana. You know, I was so reluctant and so resistant. Man, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be a preacher. I want nothing to do with that. I'll tell you this. Man can make many plans, but the purposes of the Lord will prevail. You know, when God first called me to ministry, I was young and good looking. Now I'm just good looking. You see, I pray that there's an awakening in your spirit through the story of Esther. Mordecai saw something in Esther that she didn't even see in herself. She didn't realize why she had been brought to the kingdom. No, no, no. It's not for position. It's not for power, but it's for purpose. Have you discovered what your purpose in life is? You see, the Bible says, for such a time as this. Now, your assignments in life may change. What, you, what you're doing now, maybe you didn't do five years ago or 10 years ago. Or maybe it's not going to be what you're doing five years from now or 10 years from now. Your assignment may change, but your purpose remains the same. To bring honor and glory to God wherever you are and whatever you do. It's to honor God. So whether you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, you say, Lord, how can I bring honor and glory to you in what I'm doing? That's your purpose. You see, your purpose is not a place. Some of you are thinking, well, once I get into that place, I'll discover my purpose. Oh, no, no, no. You've got to embrace your purpose right where you are. You see, if you, oh, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If you'll focus on being the right person, God will put you in the right place. You see, that's the focus. God, what are you doing in me, and how can I glorify you with it? If you'll start asking that question, I think you'll begin to sense the hand of God on you and in you. The Bible says, for such a time as this, timing is important. You need to understand the times that you're in. 
In fact, when you're, when you're young, when you're in your teens and your 20s, how many, how many teenagers and 20-somethings do we have? Let me see your hand. Teens and 20s. Some of you are raising your hand, and that's a stretch of faith. Okay, teens and 20s. When you're in your teens and your 20s, you learn it. But when you're 30s and your 40s, you earn it. Watch this. Watch where we're going here. When you're young, you're learning. You're, you're growing. So t- teens and 20s, you learn it. 30s and 40s, man, you earn it. You're working. You're paying bills. You're taking care of your family. You're doing your thing. So you learn it, and then you earn it. But in your 50s and 60s, you know what you do? You return it. Everything, every lesson that you were taught as a kid, all the sweat equity that you had as a parent and a young adult, now all of a sudden in your 50s and 60s, you've got a little life experience. You've got some wisdom. Now you can offer that to the next generation. Come on, are you with me? Understanding the time. For some of you, it's just not your time. What do you say, Michael, for such a time as this? And you're trying to force something that it's not quite ready yet. For some of you, God's saying, no, it's not your time. Jesus was talking to his brothers and sisters in John chapter 7. I don't know if you realize this, but this is in your Bible. And they were all kind of fussing at Jesus, like, hey, you're kind of weird. You say some strange things. You do some awkward stuff. Well, if you're at least going to be bizarre, perform some miracles so we can all be famous. Right? This is Jesus' siblings, okay? Aren't you glad that, that dysfunction is something Jesus understands? Oh, yeah, some of you, you uh, man, we put the funk in dysfunctional. That's what I say about the Hamans. Jesus understands. His brothers and sisters are like, well, if you're going to be weird, at least do some miracles and all of us can be famous. You know what Jesus told them? He said, no, 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 your time is whenever you want, but my time has not yet come. You see, even Jesus understood time. Some of you... It's not time. But for some of you, there's a second group. It's almost time. Not quite, but it's all the the timing of this thing. You can see it. You can sense it, but it's not quite there yet. You know, I marvel at my children sometimes. I tell you this. We have three kids, Eeny, Meeny, and Miney. We ain't having no mo. And they get so... It's funny how they get sideways. Rachel be like washing dishes or, or she may be standing by the counter and I'll just walk up behind her and just hug her. Man, start to sway a little bit. Hey, girl. Man, I may just kiss her on the cheek. You know I'm your hunk of hunk of burning love. All in front of the kids and the kids just have a cow. They're like, oh, that's so gross. It's terrible. Oh, disgusting. My son told me the other day, he said, Dad, get a room. It's like, get a room? Boy, every room in this house belongs to me. This is the love shack, all right? So if you don't like this, go play outside. Come on, somebody. Man. Stuck on you, man. I sing in the old man. We sway and we kiss and we hug. I'm like, boy, how do you think you got here? Come on. But you know, when Rachel was pregnant with our three kids, and she won't mind me telling this, that girl, she grew. She got big. She put on 65 pounds in every pregnancy. Yes, Lord. She come walking down the hallway, and I go, beep, 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 clear the way, look out, kids, stay away. <laughs> you still love me, babe? 
But when she reached the, 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 the end of her pregnancy, oh, she was ready. She'd go have those doctor's appointments every week. And you know what the doctor would say? It, you're almost there, but it's not quite time yet. You see, some of you, God has put some things, a vision, a dream, a passion inside of you. And you know what? Before you give birth to it, you've got to carry it. It's in that spiritual germination, gestation period. God is growing something in you. Sometimes he says, no, it's not time. Sometimes he says, grow. But then sometimes he says, go. For such a time as this in, in the story of Esther is one of those destiny moments. Sometimes there are destiny moments that happen in life and it only comes by one time. And her uncle tells her, who can say that you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? Notice that God already had plans to deliver the Jews. Notice what he said in the first part of verse 14. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Do you know God had already made up his mind that he was going to rescue his people? And he said, Esther, I want you to be a part of it. How many of you, when God does something special or supernatural, you want to be in the middle of it. Okay, all right, keep your hand up just for a second. You want to be right in the middle of what God's doing. Okay, if that's the case, stop praying, Lord, bless what I'm doing. Bless what I'm doing. God, I'm over here, bless what I'm doing. Why don't you start doing what he's blessing? Do what he's blessed. Wherever God is blessing, you get in position to be a part of that. He says, Esther, who can say that you were brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? Her story teaches us, number one, you have a purpose. But also, number two, you don't have to be perfect. Oh, man, that's good news. You do not have to be perfect. Every Sunday, you know what we declare every Sunday? And you say it after me. Some of you, you know it better than me. I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is. Sometimes my kids, I'll scold them. They'll say, Daddy, I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is. You know, this is good news. It's good news for those of us who don't always get it right. How many of you have messed up a time or two in your life? You know, I was, I was talking to a guy several months ago, and he said, Pastor, every Sunday when you make that declaration and you get to the part, I'm not perfect, but I serve the one who is, he said, I just cringe. He said, I cringe because I feel like that you're, you're giving people a license to sin. He says, you know, it just, you're giving them an excuse to stay in their sin when you say that. It's like we can live sloppy and it's okay because, hey, we're not perfect. And I said, well, I think you're missing the point. Now, what we're trying to communicate here is even though you sin and even though you fall short and even though you make a mistake, you are still welcome in the house of God. How many of you know if we only allowed perfect people into church, <laughs> they wouldn't let you in the door? And I couldn't stand on this stage. Man, nobody in here could. You know, the idea behind it is this is a space and a place of grace. How many of you are thankful for the grace of God? You see, the grace, let me teach you something a little bit, because Esther had some issues. Now, remember, look at her resume, okay? She married a pagan king. According to Jewish law, she broke the commandments. You don't marry a pagan. 
she hid her nationality. She, she, she wasn't proud of where she came from. She didn't, wouldn't stand out and say, hey, I serve the one true God of the Hebrews. Nobody knew her nationality. Up until this point, she's only living for herself. Now, I know she's the hero of the story, but how many of you know even heroes are human? Even the best of the best still have their issues. But enter the grace of God. Where would we be without his grace? Oh, see, the grace of God will meet you right where you are. How many of you are thankful for that? You don't have to clean yourself up to come to church. You don't have to pretend that everything's okay. In all of your mess, in all of your junk, in all of your stuff, the grace of God will meet you right where you are. But watch this. It never leaves you where it finds you. Aren't you thankful that when you are met by grace, which is the kiss of heaven, in my mess and in my mistake, when I am met by grace, there is a power that comes to me that equips me not to do the same stuff again. You see, the same grace that makes peace with God declares war on sin. Are you with me? You see, because I have been the recipient of grace, I am humbled by his love. And that second chance that God gives me Guess what? I've learned from my first mistakes. Second chances are awesome when you learn from first mistakes. And a people that's marked by grace, I think sometimes in the church, we're a little afraid to give too much grace. Well, if I give them too much grace, then they're going to take advantage of it, and they're going to live all crazy and just say, well, God gives me grace. But the, the truth is, actually the opposite is what's at work. When you receive grace, you are inspired and empowered not to sin, but to move forward in a way that pleases God. Are you with me? You see, I'm, I'm concerned that we have a spirit of religion that's crept into the church, It's a religious spirit that pretends everything's okay. Or it's a religious spirit that will, we will uh, eliminate ourselves from the purposes of God. We're good at religion, but we're not that good at relationship. You see, religion is all about appearances, but relationship is all about authenticity. Why do we count ourselves out when it comes to the purposes of God? The grace of God keeps trying to include us. No, no, no. I I still got my hand on you. I still want to use you. I'm still for you. Now, now, I, I love you. I don't necessarily love everything that you do, but I'm teaching you. I'm growing you. Are you with me? You see, God, it's not always about perfection, but it is about direction. God's saying, no, 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 come on, come, come this way. I'm walking with you. I'm going to empower you. But yet sometimes we count ourselves out. We say, God could never use me because. God could never use me because. And then you fill in the blank. You're either not enough or you're too much. And you always say, God can't use me because. And we forget the power that comes to us with grace. God uses broken people. God uses imperfect people. God uses flawed people. God uses people that don't always get it right the first time or the second time or the tenth time. Adam fell, Noah got drunk, Abraham lied, Jacob cheated, Moses murdered, Rahab prostituted, David fornicated, Jonah fled, Thomas doubted, Peter denied, Paul persecuted, we all rebelled, but guess what? Jesus redeems. Jesus redeems. I'm so thankful that just because I messed up, I'm not eliminated from the purposes of God. 
Oh, just because you fall short doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use you. In fact, quite the opposite. I think that the gaps in our lives give us the, gives God the space that he wants to be able to occupy. And then even in our brokenness, as we move forward in God, he uses us and gets all the glory for it. You see, Mordecai told Esther, look, you need to go stand before the king. You need to petition the king because your people are about to die. And Esther realized that if she were to stand before the king unannounced, that she takes her life into her own hands. She says this in verse 11, all the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited, they're doomed to die. Unless the king holds out his gold scepter and the king has not called for me to come to him in 30 days. You see, Esther was just one girl, but could she really make a difference? She was out of favor. Remember the last queen who refused to obey the laws of the land, she was banished. And yet with all this pressure and all this risk, here this 20-year-old girl from orphan to queen has a decision to make. I love it. Number one, you have a purpose. Number two, you don't have to be perfect. But number three, use your platform to make a difference. Look at verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. And if I must die, then I must die. One translation says this. If I perish, then I perish. This girl was willing to put it all on the line to risk everything, even her own life, for a cause and a purpose that was bigger than herself. You see, I I want you to see the difference between a pedestal and a platform. Hear me, church. A pedestal is about you. A pedestal will lift you up. A pedestal, there's only room for one person, and that's you. Sometimes we like for people to put us on a pedestal. But a platform is different. A platform is not about you. A platform is much bigger than you. A platform is reaching other people beyond you. Men seek pedestals, but God gives a platform. And you see, Esther had a platform. She was the queen. But she had to risk it all in order to embrace the platform that was bigger than her. She had to realize it's not about me. You see, the danger in this situation is us thinking, well, what's going to happen to me if I step out? Really, the truth is, what's going to happen to all of them if we don't? You see, church, God has given us a tremendous platform. We're not here to become famous. We're not here to exalt ourselves. Man, this is not about a pedestal. Look at HPC in this city. Man, this is a platform that God has given us to touch this community and reach the nations of the world. Come on, put your hands together if you believe that. I want you to see in these closing moments that we have tremendous platform and opportunity that God's given us In Swaziland, Africa, many of you know we've talked about Swaziland 
Oh, goodness, for a decade. They've been a part of, of HPC and been a campus for more than a decade now. And last year, through your 320 offering, we were able to purchase a piece of property. Well, just two months ago, we were able to break ground on that property. And you know what we're believing for? That God is going to give us not just the platform, but all the resource necessary to build a worship space in Swaziland for his glory. I want you to turn your attention to the screen and check this out. In 2008, Healing Place Church launched its second African campus in the country of Swaziland. And over the past 11 years, this campus has been serving hurting families in the community. The people here are known for their passionate love for Jesus, beautiful worship, and their over and above generosity. God has blessed this campus and it has grown to an average of 650 people attending services weekly. As the campus has grown, God laid it on our hearts to move from renting a facility to owning a piece of property that would be dedicated to His name. Last year, through your giving in the 320 offering, we purchased a piece of property in the city of Babane, Africa. This land is in an area of growth between key residential and commercial zones, the perfect location to be a healing place for our hurting world. This past September, our church family in Swaziland gathered together to break ground on a new facility in a day of celebration for the HPC Swaziland campus and the community in Babane. On behalf of Healing Place Church at Swatini, we just want to take this time and thank Pastor Mike, amen, and Ms. Rachel, amen, um, and our Healing Place Church family. We just want to take this time and say thank you for all the prayers, all the generosity today. We got to celebrate our groundbreaking. We know that greater days are ahead of us. We believe that from this place, life will be transformed. We believe that lives will be healed. We believe that uh, God is going to move and change our community. So we just want to say thank you and may God bless you. Through this year's offering, we are believing the new worship facility will be completed and our brothers and sisters in Babane will have a new place to call home. This new worship center will also house classes for orphans, as well as skill training classes for the poor. God has positioned us in this community to be a light to those who walk in darkness and to lift up the name of Jesus. Come on church, put your hands together this morning. Come on, would you stand with me? Everybody's standing. Everybody's standing, everybody's standing. Mm -mm -mm. Come on, somebody say purpose. Oh, I believe God has infused this house with kingdom purpose. I want you to hear this. When God saved you, he didn't save you just to keep you out of hell. Now, I'm thankful for that. How many are grateful for that? But salvation is not just to keep us out of hell, but it's to infuse our life with kingdom purpose while we're here on this earth. This is an Esther moment for each one of us. You know, God used that little orphan girl, made her queen, and the story plays out, she saved her people from destruction. Why? Because she was brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let me ask you this, what are we gonna do as a church with the platform that God's given us? We have tremendous opportunity. We have tremendous influence. We've got credibility, and I believe God's supplying resource. If we'll step into our Esther moment, 
supernatural things are waiting to happen. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.